Welcome, Bantermites, to another interview episode. And on this interview, we are speaking with Gabe Hordos, uh, who is most known for animating for Toothless on How to Train Your Dragon, as well as being the head of character animation for the movie Rise of the Guardians and many other uh, films as well he's contributed to over the years. And uh, unfortunately, Wes was not able to make it to this interview but we carried on without him, and it was really a great interview. So uh, excited to bring it to you in just a second after the intro. All right, and on the show today is animator... Gabe Hordos. Did I say your name right, Gabe? Yes, that's right. Hordos. Awesome. And Gabe, you have worked in a variety of films over the years, uh, mostly with DreamWorks, yes, correct? That's right. And with on titles such as um, Shark Tale, Fleshed Away, B-Movie, How to Train Your Dragon, and Rise of the Guardians. Am I missing anything? Uh, no, that's about, that's about it for DreamWorks. <laughs> okay. I'm sure there's plenty more that you've worked on, you know, on the side or or yeah, in between. I, or... Before I went to DreamWorks, I was, you know, I worked on, on uh, Joseph, the King of Dreams in Vancouver, and then Osmosis Jones and Eight Crazy Nights, um, and then Sinbad, The Legend of the Seven Seas, was the sort of everything I had done sort of in Canada and Europe before I ended up getting the chance to work at DreamWorks. Actually, moving down there with my wife and stuff. So. <laughs> okay. Wait. So you were in Canada, and then you went to LA. Is that where DreamWorks was? Yeah. At the time. I mean, I grew up in Saskatchewan in Canada. I'm from Regina, okay. Saskatchewan, it's called. And uh, you know, just been I've been animating since I was like nine years old. I don't know if you want me to go into this or not, but <laughs> no, go ahead. You beat me to a question. I was gonna say, I was gonna ask, how did you get into animation? So right, you're well. you're jumping right into that for <laughs> All me. Right. Let's just. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I just I've always loved animating for some reason. I you know grew up drawing all the time, and I don't know what it is. I just fell in love with watching Disney movies, and I just remember always animating, and I still remember the first thing I ever tried animating <laughs> on a little uh, flipbook piece of you know chunk of uh, printer paper where I just did this little thing of Tarzan jumping up and <laughs> swinging across the bottom of the page. And then he hit a tree and it was just, and I just was so mesmerized by flipping this paper over and over again, just how it moved. And it was just so, I don't know, it was just so thrilling. And then I just kept doing it. I would do, and then I would, you know, do it in, in school. I would draw all the time on the little you know corners of the books. And, and it was a, uh, it was just a passion from a very young age. And I, I, I would try to, we had this, uh, <laughs> kind of a lame story, but we, we had this old uh, beta cam uh, thing at home. It was VHS or beta, and we had this beta machine and we would go rent some Disney movies and whatnot. And I would try to, you know, pause it to see how they made the, the, the stuff. Uh, but but whenever you paused it, it, it just kind of like this, the whole screen got fuzzy, like you couldn't see anything. And I thought there was like this uh, conspiracy not to let uh, people know how they made the work because <laughs> you couldn't see the actual drawing. So I thought it was a big conspiracy. But uh, but then, you know, I just I would just watch the movies and then I would just uh, try to draw like them. And then this this one day, maybe I was like 12 or 13 or something. I went to the public library 
and I just had this idea, maybe they got some books about animation. And so I went there and they, they had this one really thick one that everyone knows about. It's called The Illusion of Life. And, uh, but I hadn't heard about it then. And I remember looking at this book in the library and I went, holy moly. And I was like flipping the, the, the pages because some animation on the, you know, on the corner of, of the book. And I was just like looking at actual Disney animation in my hands and seeing how you could flip it. And it was just amazing. And I, I took the book home and I kept renewing it and renewing it and renewing it and renewing it until I couldn't renew it anymore. And I was just so sad because I was like, oh, I have to give this book back and I don't know when I'll be able to get it again. And when I went into uh, the library to renew it, I don't know if the lady was just nice or something, but she went, she went to take it back and, and uh, she said that they had a glitch in the computer and there was no record of me having this book. And she sort of like just said, why don't you just, just keep it and bring it back when you're done with it? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and I was like, "What? Are you serious?" So I got, so I kept this book for a few years, and I ended up taking it back. But I would just, I was my, it was like, I just looked at it every day. I, I don't think I ever read the book. Like I've never really read all the text, but it was just the drawings and trying to be like that and trying to just like animate like that and just to make it feel like that. And then I would see images of that in the book of like a, um, you know, like they had like the. The, the pegboard, you know, animation discs and stuff. And I was like, oh, so they actually have something to hold the paper together while you're drawing. And, and I was trying to figure out how I could do that. So I took a three ring binder and I cut it. So they have like three little pegs stick up. And then I took the whole punch paper and then I kind of held it in there. So it kind of worked in a way. And so that's kind of what became my animation table. And I would just sit and animate and my parents never bugged me. And they just let me just animate all the time, you know, and then, I kept at it and in high school had this uh, really awesome art teacher who knew I loved animation and he showed me this um, computer they had called the Amiga, an Amiga 1000 or something and it had this this piece of animation software on it called uh, Deluxe Paint, can't remember the name exactly, but it was basically an animation software you can animate with your mouse. And so I would actually sit there and he let me go in the morning at lunch during art class after school, as much as I wanted to, I could just go and sit in his computer and actually make animation and you could draw with a mouse, you draw a character and then you could color it in and then you do your next frame and you could draw a little bit movement. And I ended up doing like, by the time high school was done, I was like, I did about seven little short films. It was just so addicted wow. to it. It was amazing. Just in your spare time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was just That's like, incredible. So loved. And there's, <laughs> there's one Christmas, uh, I think I was in grade 11. My, my teacher let me take it home for Christmas. And uh, I knew nothing about computers at all back then. And, and he's like, uh, so you probably want to, you know, take a little floppy disk and, and save this, you know, save your work on it. And he showed me how to take the floppy disk and put it in and how to, you know, form, you have to format the floppy disk in order to save on it. And uh, so I took this thing home and I was just like, oh my goodness, I was, I was starting to do this like really big, elaborate little animated short film about a guy in a, you know, with a, a bow walking through a forest, kind of like, a, you know, a sword in the stone sort of thing. And I was working on it. I had to save it. So I took this floppy disk, put it in there, went to format it. And it took quite a while to format it. And when it was done formatting it, I just realized that I had formatted the whole computer. So everything that was ever animated or done on the computer for the existence of this thing was now gone. And I deleted oh, it. 
And I called my teacher and I was crying. My, <laughs> I, was crying. I was crying like crazy because I was just like, I lost everything and everyone else's work. And, and he took it to a specialist and they couldn't recover it. And, and it was just so heartbreaking, but he just said, well, just start it again. Don't worry about it. You know, what can you do? And so I started the same short film and it ended up looking better than it did from the first time. And it was actually this kind of neat lesson about how, you know, maybe if you keep trying different things, it'll get better. And then just that sort of notion of like preparing for future uh, <laughs> loss of things and, you know, kind of, it was a painful lesson, but, uh, but in any case, I, I just, I got to animate so much and I did like, you know, little short film about football when it was like a football season and I did one for basketball and sort of all sorts of stuff like that. And, and it was just really wow. cool because I was kind of like, I wasn't exactly a popular kid picked on quite a bit and stuff. And so when I started animating, it's like the bullies kind of started leaving me alone a little bit and, and show, mm -hmm. showing the, and that the first short film we ever showed in the gym during a, during one of the, uh, you know, school assemblies, it was the, it was this football one that I did. And I just remember like after it was done, how everyone started cr like clapping, it was just, holy it was just like that was just such a thrill to actually do something that people liked it was pretty cool <laughs> wow cool story so you had a whole you had a, a short film like shown at a school assembly yeah that you animated like four, four that's pretty them. cool yeah <laughs> wow school celebrity after that well not quite <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that I mean, that pretty much answers the the intro questions I had about how you um, really were inspired in animation. Was there any like any particular films or animators that you were like really looking like animators you were looking up to or films that you really used as inspiration into the industry? Yeah, I mean, I I mean, it was all Disney when I was growing up. I, it was all Disney. My goal in my goal was always I got to get to Disney. I want to get to Disney. I got to get to Disney. And it wasn't like till I was like maybe in grade 12 that somebody actually said like, what if you don't get, what if you're not good enough to get to Disney or something? And it was this weird thing where I had never thought of that. Like I just was so determined to get there that I just never really had a doubt. And it was the first sort of like little inkling of a, of a doubt in my mind that kind of like just crept in. But after high school, um, my, my, uh, my art teacher let me, uh, animate actually in the on the computer in a in a like sort of this this school expo thing and there was a while I was there I was just animating on the computer and some gentleman came up a guy by the name of Daryl McSimmick who's still a friend of mine um, he had just started a multimedia company up and he's like hey why don't you come over we have the same computer why don't you come and animate for us and so after high school I went and I I worked for this, for this multimedia company as, you know, the internet was starting out and we were doing the animations for the internet. Um, but I really wanted to get to Disney so bad. And uh, I ended up starting up my own little studio in Regina with a friend because uh, I had, I had applied to Sheridan, but I didn't get in. <laughs> and I was so, I was so heartbroken. It was just like, for whatever reason, I just didn't get in. And I saw it, but I was just like, there's no way it's going to stop me. And so I just started my own little studio up, got a few little projects in, made a little bit of tiny bit of money. The first project we ended up doing was two minutes long for like $1,100 Canadian. And it was like, we had a month and a half to do it. And it was just, I was insane, but we ended up getting the project done. And, 
and uh, it brought a second project in uh, for this for the local science center in in my hometown. And it was with this character named Discovery Jones, and he would teach kids about farming and sort of like the weather and all this kind of stuff. And we had started doing this little project. I think I got paid like $8,000 for this 90 seconds. So it was like quite a bit more money than before, and it was real. And But I was so tired from that previous uh, project we had done. I was just like, man, I don't know if I can do this again. And at the same time we started that, I still had this goal of I really got to figure out how to get to Disney. But I had a friend who was a one grade above me uh, named Mike Thurmeyer, who went to my school and uh, he was, he had gone to Sheridan and he was waiting in Regina for his visa to come through to go work in New York at Blue Sky when Blue Sky was just starting out. So he was like a real animator. And I'm like, I called him up I'm like, Hey, Mike, uh, I don't know if you remember me, but I went to school with your brother. Like he was with my brother, one grade above me. And uh, he's like, yeah, I remember. He's still doing some animation stuff. I'm like, yeah, actually, I have this little studio. And so I invited him over, and he came to check out what we were doing. And uh, we had this tiny little studio in the middle of the city. It was really, it was really cool, but um, very low key. <laughs> but he came, <laughs> and he was like, really kind of like very complimentary about what we were doing. And and then I was just like, on a whim, I was like, well you know, we're, we're getting paid for this job, but I don't know what you're doing right now, but would you want to come and work on this project while you're waiting to go to, to Blue Sky? And he's like, yeah, sure. So I paid him like seven bucks an hour, which is nothing, but that's all I could really afford. And he did this, uh, he came in and, oh my goodness, it was just, that was one of the bigger leaps of my, my life because he came in and he the first shot I, he was, he did was just of this character walking up a hill and saying, hello, welcome kids and all this kind of stuff with his arms flailing. And I, he animated it and, and then he would, he would go home and then me and my friend would scan the stuff in and start coloring it. And I just remember watching this scene and I couldn't stop watching it. It was just so beautiful. The way this character walked and it was like, I just saw real animation getting made. Like my, my stuff wasn't like that at all. It was just very stiff and, it was just very sort of rudimentary. Um, and I just, I pretty much stayed up all night just looking at this thing and I was so blown away. And I would just start learning. And in the course of the, the I think he was with us for six weeks or something before he had to go. And I mean, I had just learned, I learned so much from him. And the, the, he was even saying like the quality of my work went from where it was to a lot better just in, because I was so hungry to learn. And I would just pick his brain about everything. And and then he left and I got super depressed because I was like alone again. I wanted to work with animators. And at the same time, this little company, there were some people wanting to invest in it and actually make it turn into something. And I just wanted to animate. And I ended up leaving uh, to go because I, I was like, I got to go. I got to go animate. I don't know. I don't want to own a studio yet. I don't want to do that. I just want to animate. And I heard about this guy in, in Saskatoon, which is uh you know, three hours away from my hometown, a guy by the name of uh, Steve Rabatich who worked on Toy Story. And so I was like, man, a another animator in this, in my province? What the heck? So I went over there. They gave me a job. It, was, it wasn't really that. They didn't have very many projects. And so I was there for maybe a month and a half, maybe a little bit longer, just living with some cousins. And it didn't go really well. And they ended up sort of like the projects that we're going to come in, didn't come in and there was no real work. And so I remember I was just like sitting, I was kind of broke by that point, 
you know, I was trying to, <laughs> trying to be an animator so bad and I didn't know what else to do. I was kind of like out of, out of options. And this one gentleman that worked at that studio, he, he, uh, oh yeah, I was actually sitting super sad <laughs> one day and I was sitting, looking through this animation magazine they had at that studio. And as I was flipping through it, I saw this article for animators. They're looking for animators to go work on a sequel to Prince of Egypt called Joseph, the King of Dreams. And they're looking for animators. And I was like, oh man, I, but the deadline was, was October 1st or something. And my, and it was like in November. And so I had missed this deadline. And, but then this guy walked by and he's like, you should just apply anyway. I'm like, I don't know how to get them a reel. I don't even have a demo reel. He's like, you know what? If you put all your stuff together, I'm heading to Vancouver. I'll take it there and I'll drop it off for you. And, uh, and then we'll just see what happens. And so it was just really awesome. And so I put this demo reel together of all this stuff I had done over all the years and everything that I had ever done. <laughs> and then he took it there and I didn't hear back from him when he got back. And a few weeks went by and nothing. A few more weeks went by and nothing. And then I just like called him up and like, did, I found his number and I was like, did you drop that off? He's like, yeah, I dropped it off, but have you not heard anything? And I was like, no, I haven't heard anything. And uh, a couple more weeks went by and I was just like, oh, it was like, now I was really broke. <laughs> and it was like getting close to Christmas, I think. I, I can't remember exactly how that worked out, but it was, it was something like around Christmas time where I was, um, I got a job at, I, I kind of gave up because I was broke and I needed some money. And so I kind of gave up a little bit where I got a job at a coffee shop and I was supposed to start that Monday. And, but I was so sad. Holy moly. I was just like really depressed because I wanted it so bad and I just didn't know what else to do. And, uh, I went, I had my cousins went out on a Friday night and I stayed home and, uh, and the phone rang and it was somebody from Joseph. <laughs> I get a little bit emotional thinking about it, but <laughs> and, they, and they offered me a job as an animator and I had applied as an in-betweener because that was kind of like what I thought I could do. And they actually said, no, we're going to hire you as an animator. When can you come? And I'm like, are you serious? And it was just like, my whole world just completely changed. It was just, it was insane. And I flew out there, uh, first time on a plane, left my, left my family. <laughs> you know, super had some friends of a friend of a friend that I could sort of stay with in Vancouver, went there. And it was like that first day that I walked in that studio. Oh my gosh. It was right on the ocean. It was like hardly anybody had started yet. They had this gorgeous place and it was real animation desk. And they had the supply room that was just full of paper and pencils and like more supplies than I'd ever seen in my life. And I was just like, <laughs> I was, it was just amazing. And and because none of the bigger supervising animators had started yet, they uh, they said I could just pick any seat. So I like there was this one a couple chairs sort of desk overlooking the ocean, and so I was like that was my desk and my wall was the ocean with airplanes flying in, and it was just like it was unbelievable wow. from a, from me That's coming crazy. from like the prairies to to go to that place and and then you know I and I was so used to going so fast that I I sort of. I got ahead of things pretty quickly where, uh, you know, the quota was like four or five feet a week, but I ended up doing like 12, 14 feet a week just because I was used to going so fast and I had like, that's the yeah. speed I was used to going. And then a few months later, you know, there's some more people kept coming in and heard, heard about these Danish people started working there and 
ended up there was this uh you know i mean it sounds so lame but that's just my it's my wife that started as an mm-hmm. animator there too but it was like the i was <laughs> i was showing my work and uh i heard the door open to the like we had a room that was kind of like specific for pencil test and whatnot and then i heard the door open and i turned around and it was like the first real cartoon double take that i ever done in my life where it was like <laughs> <laughs> when i saw her i was just like duh, duh, what and then you know I, just, I did everything i could to sort of like help her you know get into you know animation and whatnot and learn you know meet the meet the people and whatnot and we just kind of clicked and uh just like been together ever since and and she was a really amazing animator as well and and it went really well for both of us and uh joseph was just this amazing project of a whole bunch of people that was their first job and we all just had a lot of fun and everyone was just just it was just you know the film in itself is what it is it's like it's a lower budget thing so it's, it's not like it looks like the prince of egypt or something but it's such a a fond memory that i you know i can't even I'm so grateful to that company for giving me that chance and, and to, you know, the guys that work there. And and then that led to us both getting a job on Osmosis Jones in, in, uh, in Toronto. And then we uh, moved to Denmark and uh, worked on eight crazy nights and was that we're out there for a year. And then that ended up leading to a a job on, uh, on Sinbad in London. And so we ended up like every project we'd kind of like, you know, look for more work and then you'd find, you'd get there, you'd move, you know, but London was like a, was a pretty big deal because we, um, it was like the first time working for a real feature, like it was mm-hmm. now Sinbad. And these are like, you know, I mean, I, just one real quick backup when I had my studio. Uh, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> when, after M- Mike Thurmeyer had left, the trailer for uh, Prince of Egypt came out. And I was watching this trailer for Prince of Egypt and I was just like, it was so mesmerizing. I, I just kept it on my computer and I would just watch it all the time as this sort of like amazing inspiration. I loved it so much. Yeah. And I would practice drawing the characters and whatnot, just out of like random, just because it was such a high quality that I was just like, I just wanted to work with those. And so my goal sort of weirdly shifted from working for Disney, which to, you know, I just wanted to go work at DreamWorks. And so mm. when we had this chance to work with DreamWorks, I knew all the animators. I knew all like James Baxter was there and Christoph Sarand and all these yeah. like, Rudolph Gwenadin and all these big guys. And I was like, that's awesome. Now having a chance to work there and and uh, basically just you know it's hard to get good shots when you're in the outsource studio, but you know just whatever crowd shots we would do, we'd just do the best job we could. And eventually we started getting better shots and better shots, and and then ended up you know getting a chance to. We got offered jobs to go down to DreamWorks at the end of it. So, and then that's when we got to LA. So, <laughs> sorry, it's a bit awesome. of a long story. I realize. <laughs> hey, no, that's all right. Hey, and I wanted to say, uh, I've actually so I grew up on um, well, Prince of Egypt and Joseph King of Dreams. We had King of Dreams on VHS. Um, yeah, which I loved it. I honestly, as a kid, I never would have known it was the the small budget right. uh, straight right. to VHS. Um, kind of a, a sort of sequel you know even though not with this you know different characters but like on the same lines of, of piggybacking off the success of that story yeah. of uh prince of egypt yeah and i was blown away by the music i mean yeah. the music is great and the acting for for a for a direct to vhs like the voice acting of like mark hamill and jody benson it's like yeah i know you didn't see those (laughs) on most of like disney's direct to vhs sequels that they were doing that's right um that's right so that was really cool and i definitely uh 
you know, still remember that film fondly. So when I saw that as your first work, I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, wanted to ask you about that. So glad we could touch on King of Dreams a little bit. And that's where you met your wife. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, always, I'm sure you'll remember that fondly. <laughs> And then, so you talked about working on Discovery Jones, but then you worked on another Jones in Osmosis Jones. <laughs> Funny. Never even thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've actually never seen Osmosis Jones. I need to see that. It's on Netflix right now, I think. Yeah, that's a good one. one. Of the f- one. Yeah. Who, who was that for? Who did Osmosis Jones? Was uh, it a smaller that studio? That was Warner Brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think it was. Oh. oh man, it's all it's all a bit hazy right now. I think it was Warner Brothers. It's sort of like so like around the time when they were doing Iron Giant and stuff like that. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. I, that's so crazy. I literally the my last the last person I interviewed was Kirk D'Amico, who had oh. worked on the movie uh, Quest to Camelot. Oh right. And which was like the one right before I think it was Quest, and then Iron Giant, and then Osmosis Jones, maybe something so. like that, or maybe yeah, yeah I think something order, like that. But... No, I think that's about right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so crazy. Hard to follow up with Iron Giant. <laughs> yeah, I know that movie is so good. Yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit more about your experience on Sinbad. This was your first experience with dreamworks did you say you were at the studio in la yet or were you we were still working remote there was a remote studio uh called stardust in london so we basically ship packed up everything from denmark moved to london got a little suite little flat sort of in a place called highgate and then uh we just worked at the studio and i mean it was it was uh, very it was very difficult to get good shots and that was mm. actually quite because you know coming from these other films, I was used to doing main character stuff all the time. And then you, when we came to this this place, it was, we were starting to get little crowd shots, and it was kind of, mm. it is kind of hard, you know, to be honest, it's hard to 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 do your best work when it's like just small little characters. But you have to yeah. we just we just had to do the best job we could because the goal was to get to DreamWorks as 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 hard as we possibly could. And yeah. and you know we, I mean. And it was, it was hard. It was really hard. And we slept under our desks and, you know, we pretty much, we didn't make much money because London was expensive. And, and, uh, I remember the, the first time we had a chance, both of, both of us, because what's really cool about like my wife is we're, we've always been sort of very equal in quality. Like we, one of us didn't drag the other along and get a sort of a mercy hire or something like that. Like we were both constantly at the same level and we kind of pushed each other and helped each other and and, uh when we started getting some better shots it sort of happened at the same time where we where she got a really cool shot of marina and i got a really cool shot of this character called delegate 150 (laughs) and in the movie (laughs) it's this moment where uh this guy says he puts up his hand and so i can't remember exactly where in the movie it is but it's like like the i think uh, Proteus, uh, Sinbad just got arrested, and Proteus okay. is uh, uh, begging to, you know, I can't remember how that. Man, it's been a while since I saw that movie. I'm totally butchering it, but but basically, this guy, everyone's like trying to get you know Sinbad off, and and uh, this guy goes, he puts up his hand and goes, Proteus, you realize if Sinbad does not return, you will be put to death in his place, and it, it was the. Uh, it was this real dialogue and I, and this voice actor had this really cool deep voice. And I was just like, so excited to do this shot. And I knew Christoph Strand 
tended to do these kind of characters because it looked a little bit like the the bad guy mm-hmm. from um, from what was the name uh, from uh, Road Del Dorado. Oh and, yeah, uh, the he was like the explorer guy. Um, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I forget his yeah. name. Oh. Francis Drake? No, that's <laughs> not it. Uh, no, I need to forget Spanish guy. I think I forget. Yeah, but. yeah, that guy. It'll come to me. But, <laughs> but this character had this really cool design, and I and I love Kristoff's work growing up, and so I, I kind of I like to draw like him anyway. Like I would kind of like <laughs> I would just tend to try to draw like him for some reason, and uh, I, I just put everything ahead into this shot. And it was normally, you know, once you got, uh, once you got a good shot, and if you did well, you'd get another good shot, mm. and then you know you'd keep getting better shots. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did everything I could in this in this shot. And uh, after it was done, it got approved, but I kept getting crowd shots, uh... and I kept getting crowd shots, and I got super depressed because you know, as an animator, your life lives and breathes by the quality of your shot. Mm-hmm. And I really thought I just didn't do a good job on that shot. And it was just like so heartbreaking. I was like, man, maybe I'm not good enough. And other people started getting better shots and I'm just keep getting this like, and it's just kind of an honest story because there's a quite a bit of a lesson that I learned there mm-hmm. where maybe I was starting to get a little bit egotistical in my work and maybe a thing like that. But I, I was really down. And uh, when you're down, it's hard to animate good. Mm. <laughs> but I just kept, I kept at it. Even I kept getting crappy little, uh, not crappy, I shouldn't say that, but just little little uh, crowd shots. I feel like there's I not even that many deep. crowds in, in Sinbad, right? <laughs> it's, no, like there's, but like it, there's enough that it's, yeah. because you still have, you know, the you know when they're really small, it's like, yeah. it's kind of like you're, you're, it's not necessarily the idea of doing a crowd. It's what they think about you that, gets you yeah it's like my goal was to get to dreamworks and it's like now i'm not i just had my my one shot and i feel like i blew it yeah and uh and so now i'm relative sort of feel like you're kind of not having the chance again and so felt like my dream was kind of slipping away but i just kept at it and at it and and uh lena my wife she started getting like her shot went really well like with marina and she kept getting better shots and it was that was awesome and uh but I just kept getting these crowd shots, but I kept at it. I kept doing good shots. And then near the end of the film, it was kind of like all hands on deck and uh, everybody started getting better shots. And so I got a shot of Sinbad. Mm. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. And so I did this this shot. I put everything in that one. And they said, oh, that was nice. And then, so they gave me another Sinbad shot. And then I got a few more Sinbad shots. And then by the end of it, it was like I did like maybe five or six Sinbad shots at the end. And it was just enough where, you know, they just as the project was done, they, the DreamWorks people came to me and my wife and they're like, hey, and one other guy, a guy by the name of uh, Gabriele Panicchioli, um, basically they're like, you guys, can you come to work at DreamWorks and we'll get you visas and all this kind of stuff. And so it's just like, we just, I scraped in mm. there. And uh, and so we got, we went, it was like amazing. And so we went through this process of visas and all this kind of stuff and went down to DreamWorks and everything get, came through with our visas and we went down there, moved down there got some places and, and, uh, we, I was walking down the hallway one day in DreamWorks and DreamWorks had this very interesting smell. And it was like this smell of like, I don't know what it is. It's just like every time I, you know, would go down this one hallway, it just reminded me of like, I'm at my dream right now. This is like, this is where I want it to be. It's amazing. Mm. And they have all this free lunch and all this kind of stuff. And it was just a gorgeous place. And I was walking down the hall one day and I heard this voice going, 
Proteus, you realize if Sinbad does not return, you will be put to death in his place. And it was on repeat. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, followed the voice. And then I went over and I, I uh, was like watching these three guys watching my shot. And I was like, so what are you guys watching? I didn't know these guys at that time. I don't mm -hmm. remember who they were, <laughs> even to this day. And did but, they know who you were? Uh, no, no, no. And I was like, so what? What's? how come you guys are watching this shot? And they go, well, this guy up in London did it, and it's a pretty good shot, and we really like it. <laughs> and I, they were like, very complimentary about the shot. And they're like, you know, they were saying things like, not to get sort of like braggadocious, sure. I don't mean it like that, but they were like saying it looked like Christoph drew it. And I was wow. like, that was always my goal. Like, I just wanted to know that I could do something that was worthy of someone like Christoph was saying it was good. And apparently Christoph really loved it. But something got mixed up in the communication of what happened mm -hmm. and not, not. And somehow the, the shot didn't get credited to me. Uh. And so it was credited to somebody else who this other amazing animator up in London who... Um, his name is Tim Watts, who he got two shots of that character and I got one shot mm -hmm. and somehow all three shots got lumped in to him. Mm -hmm. And so he got, and of course he was amazing. Like <laughs> he kept getting better shots too at this after that, mm -hmm. but it was just like this amazing thing of realizing that I, they did like my work, but I didn't know it. Mm -hmm. And I could have given up and I, cause I was like super depressed. <laughs> And it was like, you know, and, and to go there and to find out that it was actually, it was approved and they did like it. It just never was accredited to me. It was this weird thing of like, I was so glad I just kept at it, even though I get good crowd shots, I just kept at it. And I found my own other way back to, you know, getting yeah. the job. But it was, it was a weird thing where even to this day, I don't think Christoph believes that that was my shot. It's like, <laughs> it's you know, it's like, it's very, it's a very strange thing. Yeah, so, that's weird. But it was a great, but it was just such a, it was a great 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 thing to get there and and but then of course we're there we were there for about a month and then they told us there's no more 2d animation and we have like yeah. weeks to learn a computer and wow. stuff like that so <laughs> yeah well sinbad was such a weird film i feel like it, it, when you look back on it i mean it's like i just watched it for the first time a few years ago I, i've been you know someone who the last like five years has really gotten into co consuming animation i don't know how to do it unfortunately but uh i love animated films and and I watched Sinbad and it's like it's one that you can tell they like thought was going to be huge. They have the 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 voice actors, Brad Pitt, Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, uh, Jim Cummings is in it. And they, yeah, he's the voice of the delegate. Oh, OK. Yeah. That was Jim Cummings. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And and they have the blend of that of that 2D animation uh, with some some definitely some computer animation involved i'm pretty sure if i remember right is that is that accurate like some yeah that's right yeah, cg yeah. in there too yeah. yeah it seems to be not looked upon very fondly i know it's not one of my more favorite dreamworks films i do do you have any like idea of maybe why this movie seems to have struggled or maybe just the story wasn't super strong i don't know yeah it's so hard to know yeah it's so hard to say i mean i know pixar was really starting to you know come alive at that moment and you know, maybe people saw the 3D thing and looked at this stuff and it looked flat. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, I, I still have goggles of like, like, like rose colored glasses because yeah. I mean, you know, to, you know, when we were in London, we didn't get to see much of the stuff they were doing in, on, on this, on this stuff, but mm -hmm. in, in LA, but the quality, we would once in a while get a little VHS tape and then you'd see something where, of James Baxter's animation and you're, 
it was just yeah. we were just so blown away and when we got to go to dreamworks and be there and see the actual final movie and with the, with the other guys and everything it was just like i mean that movie i can't even judge if it's good or not it's just it's yeah. so it's just so heartbreakingly yeah beautiful that, yeah. that experience and hard and amazing all wrapped up in one that it's, yeah I, I, yeah i can't even judge what, what kind of movie it is. <laughs> hey and that's totally totally and you're right um i wanted to i need to get up to how to train your dragon at some point because that's you know one of my favorite movie franchises ever made uh but i did want to ask how your role kind of evolved as an animator you know you're getting into um some computer animation on shark tale flushed away b movie yeah yeah i mean some of the like flushed away especially out of these three it was a, a pretty uh, well acclaimed film uh looking very much like it's claymation but but it's from a computer yeah. um i believe you won some kind of annie award for character animation for flushed away is that correct yeah that's right yes <clears throat> and both my my wife and I were nominated at the same time. Okay. I ended, unfortunately, I won. I mean, I heard <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? So, what characters were you two nominated for? Uh, well, she did mostly the 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 the, the, the Toad character. Okay. And I did mostly Roddy, the the, the main uh, character. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty fun stuff. But but I mean, as we you know, as we when we found out that there was no more two D animation they literally gave everybody eight weeks to learn a computer and, and everybody had the chance and we had to sit down and actually figure out how Maya worked. And they gave us all like really good teachers and stuff. And so we ended up picking it up and we got, you know, got to stay, but uh, there was a moment there where we were like, Oh man, it's like to get this close. I just wanted to work on a team yeah. with under James Baxter or something. And then yeah. now that's gone, you know, but then we ended up uh, getting picked up on shark tail. And this mm-hmm. was like, you know, you know, it doesn't, you know, I mean, no offense to DreamWorks because we, you know, I love that place and I work there. But I mean, when you watch that movie, it doesn't hold up, honestly, like, agreed. like you know, Finding Nemo does. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, yeah. but I mean, when, when you see, maybe they had problems with Pixar too, but man, the, because it was like the first time, like every, the rigs were so heavy. It, sometimes they would take you like, you'd flip to your next frame and it would take like, depending on the heaviness of the scene, it could take like almost a minute to see your next key. Yeah. And it was just so hard to animate. It was just so hard. Even though these animators were amazing, it was just really hard to, to, to work on that project. But, but I ended up um, uh, getting a chance to work with a guy named Ken Duncan. I, I've that. heard of that and name. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a big Disney animator. He worked yeah. on like Meg from, from uh, Tarzan or from uh, what's <laughs> Meg from uh, Hercules. Hercules. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he, you know, he was, he, he became my supervising animator and the first shot that I did with him, you know, I, I was a bit on a high. Now we get to DreamWorks and we're all this kind of great stuff. And, and then I did this shot of, of the, the main character swimming up and, saying hey lenny does i can't remember what he said but he did the thing and i you know showed him on a friday night and ken just annihilated the shot like oh, he no. just he brutalized how uh, well everything that was wrong with it and it was the first real time that i had worked with an actual supervising animator up to that point it was a lot of like you know we had directors and stuff but mm-hmm. nobody really scrutinized animation like ken was about to do in my life <laughs> <laughs> and it was just so hard but he uh, 
he was so difficult to get stuff through, but man, did I learn a lot from him. And it got to the point where it was just like, I, I, I was so hungry to learn because he was such an amazing animator that I just, I took the beating <laughs> <laughs> and I just let it like, just, just, just hit me with everything you got. Don't hold back kind of thing. And, and over the course of that film, I just kept getting better and better again. Cause I mean, my goal is always just to be a better animator, a better storyteller mm. and uh, whatever it takes sort of thing. And after Shark Tale was done, uh, we both, my wife and I got to go work on, on Flushed Away and, we had this amazing supervising animator. Uh, oh my goodness, uh, forgetting his name now. Uh, Jeff knew it. He was a he was a he was a guy from from over at Ardman, and he mm. had come down there to be sort of like a like the mentor, the the the, the guy who could help us find that style. And mm -hmm. it was really cool because we all loved Ardman, and we all wanted to make that style work. But he had such a like a strange sense of storytelling that was so clear like he just knew what needed to happen in the shot and mm -hmm. he pushed you to get it to be as simple and as clear as you possibly could and after coming from working with ken who was like all about clarity and structure and 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 smooth animation and and uh, like, like what's the character feeling and thinking and all this kind of amazing stuff and jeff had this other way of getting there that was a very different approach and it was very frustrating for a while but then when you sort of like got into it and just gave up to like because i wanted to do all this like fancy floaty stuff and you know all this smooth animation but you weren't really allowed to because it was but trying to make it look like claymation so it was kind of mm -hmm. like to hold your poses and, mm -hmm. and it was so hard to hold your pose and just let it do its thing and but when you went with it and you started to see how this film was shaping up i mean it was just it was so, I don't know. I love that movie. I think it's amazing. And, yeah. and, you know, for both my wife and I, and she, like she was working on Toad with him and, and she did all these like, hello, Rita, you know, these big <laughs> shots of this character. And he is and, quite uh, the character. Yeah. He's amazing. And, and for both of us to get nominated at the same time for that Annie was, uh, that was awesome. And then, you know, to actually one of us win, it was, was amazing. And, mm -hmm. you know, to give a little speech and stuff in front of them, it was really cool, but yeah, but there's that that movie is a special special thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's and it's hilarious, <laughs> so, and it really yeah, feels it like is. Ardman because it. I mean, it was made in the United States, but it totally has like the British humor thing going on. It yeah. takes place in like yeah. they talk about like Tottenham football, you know, football club or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Pretty funny. Uh, I love that movie too. I think I yeah. have it on DVD. So, um, but yeah, I wanted to ask. Uh, I was gonna say something about flushed away but i think i might have forgot that question um oh sorry uh okay yeah i guess i got we got hit that question already so i guess we can move ahead towards um how to train your dragon because you so you worked on flushed away b movie and then well yeah i mean before we like real quick oh go for like, it with, with b movie it was like we we both got nominated for the Annie and then we both got promoted to supervising animator at the same time. Okay. And so we were, and we got to now work with Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> which, was, which was a thrill. Like my dad is like this huge uh, Seinfeld fan. He's always <laughs> been. And so just to get to work with him. And I mean, it was, it was a difficult project just because I think he was used to working with people that could like ab lib and you know do three four five takes of things and you're all these crazy hilarious you know people on the show but animation is so slow that it, it it's hard to ab lib and try things and so i think it 
it was probably a little bit frustrating for him, but I mean, mm-hmm. that the experience of working with him on that was, it was amazing. And he's just so funny. And so, I don't know, he was just, he was a nice guy, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and the film, it was a bit much trying to, you know, his first time supervising a bunch of team, like a team and whatnot. And, um, but it was, it went, it went well. And then, and then, uh, afterwards, um, they put me on, on how to train your dragon and put my wife on monsters versus aliens. Mm. And, uh, yeah. And so that sort of began the first time we stopped working on the same films and we sort of, but that started my journey on how to train your dragon. And that was, uh, yeah, that's what, that was about to become something I did not expect <laughs> of what it became. Yeah. So wait, you actually got to like, you know, working with, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, did, like, did you get to attend some of his recording sessions for his lines? And no, no, not, not the recording sessions. Um, we we had a meeting with him every week, okay. and uh, you know, he would be in New York, and he would be direct, sort of like directing from there. And and uh, he was really funny, though. I mean, he <laughs> he he was because he knew it was my like it was my first time supervising, and it took me a long time to get up to speed on that because i was mm. trying to get other you know you help other people and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff so my animation went from where i was doing a lot of work on flushed away to like doing nothing and it was this running gag where for like i didn't get a shot approved to show for like a month or something and, mm. and every week he'd ask me are you going to show your shot yet are you going to show your shot yet and then <laughs> and i was like no it's not done yet i'm not dead yet and then the day i actually showed my shot he 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 had a he had a couple cigars and he gave me a cigar <laughs> and and it was like he he made this huge joke out of of like celebrating my first shot and it was <laughs> so funny it was like a, it was a total seinfeld joke kind of thing and it was it was hilarious and i still have that cigar and at the end of the project i ended up getting him to sign it oh that's awesome <laughs> so i have this like seinfeld signed cigar <laughs> that's awesome that's a great story <laughs> i wanted to ask actually before we jump into how to train a dragon do you have any uh jeffrey katzenberg stories <laughs> Well, I mean, I never really got to meet him. No. I mean, he was, yeah, no, he, he was a sort of, uh, I mean, when, later on as I got sort of higher up, you know, I, I got to meet him and talk with him a few times, but he was, he was a little bit intimidating, mm. you know, whenever you're in a meeting and stuff, you know, he's, he was, he was a real, <laughs> he's a real tough, tough one, you know? And so he, I think I met him once in London you know, he, he said a few words and whatnot, but I never really got to meet him. But I think there was, I had a lot of fear for him and, mm. and uh, you know, didn't, you, you know, sort of like everything was about trying to get stuff approved through him. And I think that the, the, everyone was very focused on, uh, on, on getting it through Jeffrey. Like he mm-hmm. had a, I mean, I, I don't know what the world thinks about him, but he, he had a really great sense of, of what was, what was missing and i mean he was always every you know every moment i had while i was at dreamworks you know like he you know we had a lot of respect for him i mean he you know he paid people really well and he had this amazing studio that people got free lunches and Mm. you know i know there's reasons for that financially whatever but but it was just a really this is a nice place i mean it was it was a beautiful campus and i i really enjoyed working there you know I'll, i'll you know, I'll never forget it, you know, that's for sure. And uh, I mean, there's one moment later on in my career where in, when we were working on Rise of the Guardians, where he sort of like, in a in a kind of a brutal way, I had sort of like 
been, I, I worked my way into being completely sort of afraid of trusting myself mm. <laughs> in the, in the thick of things on guardians. It, it was a, it was a tough project. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and Jeffrey was like, he, he was, he wanted something in one of the sequences and he wasn't seeing it. And he just, he looked at me and he goes, is this your fault? Just like, you know, yelled at me. And mm. I was just like, and it kind of like snapped me out of it. And the way he sort of like said that, I, I really was like, man, this, this is my fault because I'm not saying what I, because I was too afraid to really say what I wanted to say and mm. sort of like snapped me out of it. And, and after that, it was, it was one of these moments where, you know, you, the world sort of starts to enclose on you and it, everything gets more and more, I don't know, you feel like everyone's just judging you on every single second of everything and it, you're trying mm. to please everybody and you end up like not pleasing anybody and it was just the weight of everything was on my shoulders you know sure. because you're trying to because the whole film can't go through until it's through animation and and it was a it was a it was a very difficult sort of time and uh just that that you know that question of i mean there wasn't there was an f-bomb in the question is this your asphalt yeah. but it was just it was and it, but it was just it was a really sort of moment a good moment where i look back where it really kind of like you know what if i'm going to go down i should go down for something i believe in yeah you know and i stopped being afraid right there i just was like and i started just saying what i wanted to say and i argued what i wanted to argue and just let things go that weren't important and the last four months of that project was so much nicer it was just mm -hmm. a real it, it had worked into a really difficult time <laughs> and mm -hmm. then it ended really nice and and uh it was just because he was you know he I don't know the weight of, I mean, everyone, you get in these higher positions, it's easy to hate them and judge them, but I, I don't know the, the, the weight of everything becomes so massive that I think it's hard for, it's gotta be impossible. You know, he, kept, yeah. he always talked about having, you need rhino skin to, to have a job like that, yeah. you know, and I think he sort of taught that a little bit. It was just, you know, this isn't about being, this isn't about being precious or it's not about being personal. This is about a business and you got to get stuff done. Yeah, that so, makes, yeah, that's makes sense. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, in 2010, How to Train Your Dragon was released and millions of people across the globe held their breath when Hiccup reached out to touch Toothless's nose for the first time. And that happens to be a moment that you animated, right? right. I, I watched your demo reel on YouTube, which is pretty incredible it has like over three and a half minutes of toothless uh sequences um and yeah did you have any idea i, I can just for me personally i had no idea this movie was gonna be like how to train a dragon was gonna be what it was like i feel like you like i don't know i was a teenager at that point i think and i at first didn't see the movie in theaters and then it came out on dvd and i remember my siblings watching it and i like was not even watching it but then i like caught the end of it and it was like they they rented it on on dvd or something i like caught the end of it and i was like wow this is actually pretty good so i went and rewatched it again and i was like wow this movie's so good and i just like yeah. yeah over time that movie and then the second movie i went and saw it in theaters and thought it was maybe even better than the first i don't know it's probably not better it's tough to beat the first but <laughs> the, all three of them in that franchise are super good. But anyway, uh, did you have any idea um, that that was going to be a key moment of the movie and of the franchise? I guess pre people probably didn't know it was going to be a franchise at that point. But yeah, did you have any idea what that sequence was going to be? 
No, no. And it, it's it. You know, if you don't mind me telling another little, I got a lot. Of, I could talk forever about little stories that happened in, <laughs> in the productions. But sure. Um, after I was done on the B movie, I went on to How to Train Your Dragon early. Okay. Uh, you know, Simon Otto, he was the head of animation. Yes. He gave yeah. come, on, come on this film early and let's let's build these characters and let's get this thing rolling. And and it was a different director at that time. And uh, and I'd never been a huge dra- like dragon type of fan or mm. you know whatever, but. But I was just like, I love the designs that, that, that Nico Marley, you know, the character designer did. And these designs were really cool. And, and, and that first version, the, the Toothless character was this little tiny dragon. Mm. He's in the movie, it's, it's called the Terrible Terror, these, these little tiny rat kind of characters. Mm. But that was the first Toothless because, you know, they were trying to make the book at that time. Mm-hmm. And the book is a short sort of story. And it was just proving to be very difficult, I guess to turn it into a big feature. And they had gone through a couple iterations. Mm-hmm. And when I had started, um, there was a really nice guy who was directing it. Um, and I spent a year developing like fish legs and a few other mm-hmm. characters, but in particular, the little toothless character. Wait, who, was so, di- who was directing at that time? Oh man, I can't remember his name. It wasn't uh, the guys, it wasn't Dean and Chris Sanders who ended up no, finishing it. It was a different person. No, it was a different guy before okay. that. I, and I honestly can't remember his name. It was Peter, but yeah. really, really nice guy and really collaborative and, and, but something wasn't working. So, uh, you know, but before he left, I was on it for about a year developing Toothless in particular. And it was like it was going to be my deal that I, you know, I was a supervising animator for this little character, and and I had really gotten into animating the quadruped, and uh-huh. it was like, oh man, I was having so much fun, and we did all this like character development, where you know, how is he going to move at the beginning, in the middle, and how is he going to change at the end, and all this kind of stuff, and it was really this whole elaborate thing of having a year to develop this character was amazing, and then the something changed above and. Peter was no longer directing and they brought in Chris and Dean and they sat down, watched the movie <laughs> and already, you know, I think this was in the, this, this was at the beginning of 2010. I don't know, remember the dates exactly, but it wasn't that long before the movie had to be released uh-huh. the release date wasn't going to change. And so the deal was they couldn't change. They couldn't change everything. They had to keep some stuff because otherwise we wouldn't get the mm-hmm. film done. And then I remember they, they, uh, sat everyone down after they watched the movie and they're like well there's a lot of really good stuff and there's a lot of you know really great stuff you guys have done i think we know what to do we're going to play around with some things but the main thing we're going to change is we're going to we're going to change toothless mm. and man was that a that was like a stab right through my soul oh, like the man. only real thing they were going to change was toothless and i thought i was getting fired and i was like and looking back now it's like all those like I mean, I have so many stories about disappointments that have <laughs> happened where you just kind of like, but you keep trudging through and you keep just because I love animation and mm-hmm. you just, you don't give up and sort of in the same way, like what happened at, in, you know, in, 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 um, in London, you know, where you didn't get a good shot and you just kept going. They said that they're going to change Toothless and the producers called me into the office and they're like, you know what, I know that's going to be hard but we don't expect you don't need to stay on the film if you don't want to, you know, it's, if it's too much, cause it's hard losing a character. Sure. It's the only thing changing. It's like, not only is yeah. it like your peers looking at like you're a failure or something, but it's also just like all that work that you, 
that you put into and you're like excited to do something like I was excited to have my own character for once you know that was like a pretty big deal it was a really big deal it was kind of it was everything to do your own character and uh and then they called us into an into the to the this office and they're like so I know we said we're going to change Toothless and uh this is what we want to do with him and they sort of showed this image in the in the theater mm -hmm. of this black panther with these massive yellow eyes and i just went oh my goodness you want to do that okay i'm in i don't care and it was like <laughs> in one second i was able to just throw away that entire year of work i didn't even care about it because we were going to go from doing something cute to something super cool uh -huh. are you kidding me it was like the, it was like I was so jazzed. I was so smart and excited <laughs> yeah. that I was like, I, I want to do this. I don't care. I'll do whatever yeah. it takes. I want to do this character. And we had no time, like, you know, a year of developing the other one. Now we had, I think like, oh, I can't remember the word exactly, but it was like maybe five, six weeks to go from character design through modeling, through rigging into animation and like absolutely no time at all. And I ended up, um, I was working with the rigging department on the first version of Toothless for like a year on that character you know tweaking little joints yeah. and how things move and now we had like no time at all so this the, the rigor <laughs> ended up uh uh moving into my office and we just kind of like spitballed like how would you like to move the body should you do like this i'm like yeah like maybe like that <laughs> legs like this and we just had this this amazing sort of collaboration of like making this character move and come to life and and uh and we uh got the it got ready and sequences started coming in and and uh people started animating him but it was kind of like i would start seeing how they were animating it and it wasn't quite what i had sort of planned mm -hmm. like with 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 the rig and stuff and it was kind of like um i don't know maybe i shouldn't even talk about this but whatever i don't mean it in a bad way but basically i was starting to be a little bit too vocal in in dailies i would you know start to sort of i mean maybe i shouldn't talk about this but maybe for kids listening it's kind of like you know i i i got a little bit again my ego tends to creep in mm -hmm. and i started getting a little bit like no i think you should do this and i think you should do this and i started becoming like not helping but sort of like hindering things and it was it was kind of a it wasn't a good moment <laughs> mm. and the producers came in to my office and they're like you need to you know stop talking daily mm. and it was just like oh are you kidding me like but but all this stuff we had planned and everything you know what to do with this character and like it's not exactly happening because no one knew how to use the controls because it was so many controls and and uh it was looking good but it wasn't looking where i had hoped it would look like mm. and so it wasn't looking like the panther it was mm -hmm. looking like this other thing and uh and, and so it was just like at that exact moment when that sort of like asked me to be quiet in dailies i went through one of my little depressions again mm -hmm. <laughs> and at the same time my wife actually had a pneumothorax she had a punctured lung and she was in the hospital oh, man. And a lot of stuff was sort of all kind of happening at one time and yeah of course she ended up being being fine um but that sequence came in where he ends up touching him. And Simon, such a great friend, such a great leader, such a great guy. He's like, okay, you know what? I know this character's not looking like you think it should. So why don't you show us what you want to do with it? And he just gave me two weeks where I went, I was able to stop working on everything else and I could just 
play around with poses of of the sequence because the, the when the sequence came in it was it was boarded a lot by chris sanders and a few other guys and it was beautiful sequence like beautiful like the music was amazing and everything yeah, about the sequence so was good. like this is something so powerful but the poses were kind of weird like chris sanders has these out of left field ideas and it was like all the like the way he's sitting and the way he's cute and like what do you mean now we're <laughs> like gonna do something dog. cute yeah. yeah i was like i thought we were gonna do something cool now you want to do something cute and i was like okay but let's just can you just like give me those two weeks to, to play around with it and so simon and i actually sat down and sort of like really came up with this plan on how he would move at the beginning of the sequence and how he could sit down and I get to play with the rig and re-rig some things just to make that sit work. And, and then basically after this two weeks was up, I had like maybe 10 poses and we cut them into the sequence with the music and uh, we showed it to the directors and the producers and stuff. And we pushed play with the music and man, we all started crying. <laughs> it was just so emotional. Just that, just, just, just in poses, how that story was unraveling. And then I asked Simon, like, I know I, I, I haven't been doing any hiccup stuff, but I know how to make that last moment work. Uh-huh. And the reason I knew how that last moment sh- should feel was it was in the storyboards the way it is where, you know, they reach for hiccup yeah. reaches and then toothless comes towards them and they touch like that was the storyboard. But my wife and I had just sort of uh, recently um, adopted a cat from a, Humane Society, and mm. it was a skittish little cat who just, you know, I didn't grow up with pets. She didn't grow up with pets. Thing didn't want to have anything to do with us, and it was always just away from us. And and this one day, I well before the movie, this was like, you know, maybe before that sequence anyway. Uh, I was just on the bed one day, and and he was just always pulling away from me, pulling away. Mm-hmm. And I just remember looking away from him and just left my hand kind of. I inched it closer to him, and I just left it there. And then I felt that little wet nose touched my finger and I kind of looked down and it was just, he was sniffing my finger and it was just, it was really a cool moment that, yeah. I, you know, that's I didn't incredible. think it was going to become it. Yeah, and I that that turned into the, about it. the it movie. Just, yeah. <laughs> and then, so when I saw that moment of Hiccup and Toothless, I was like, you've got to let me do both Hiccup and Toothless in that moment. I know it's not very cool to take that scene of Hiccup, but I know how that moment should feel. And Simon was like, yeah, that's cool. And we checked with Jakob, the lead on, on Hiccup. And he was like, yeah, go ahead. Because they're not complicated shots of Hiccup. But sure. it was that moment. And so, yeah, like on my demo reel, like a lot of that Hiccup, that, that stuff is on there because I got to really learn what that character needed. And and a lot of the storyboards, like the moment where he like licks his lips and stuff, it was just a simple drawing of, of him looking cute. And it was <laughs> it was so hard because we didn't design that rig. We made it to look cool because we didn't have time. So you have to make choices. You can't make a rig do everything. Sure. And so now all of a sudden this rig has to look cute. And that's why I also needed the time to figure out, can we make him look cute? And it was like, man, it's like, if you look at that character in camera, you have all these controls doing all these things. But if you move the camera, like at an inch to the side, it was all messed up because mm-hmm. we had to cheat so many things just to make it look cute. So you have to almost like pose it uh, to camera kind of like how we did on flushed away where it was kind of like it was very posed to camera sort of thing hmm. so i used a lot of the techniques i'd learned on on flushed away uh, with toothless um but then you know I, I thought i don't know why i even tried it but i just thought it would be so cute that in, instead of him just sitting there not doing anything i just had him lick his lips and i did a few shots around that moment and i showed him in dailies and everyone started laughing so hard 
And I was like, we, I never really planned on it. We were just going to make him a dragon, but it's sort of like the, the response that everyone had for seeing this mm-hmm. one scary creature do something cute. It was just so, it was just so funny. And so we kept that up and we just kept putting more and more stuff. So it really wasn't planned out. Mm-hmm. It just became something. Um, but then, yeah, that moment where they touched each other, it was just this, I just, I just, it's funny because a lot of people like comment over the years of like, oh, that, that little pause that Toothless does before he touches Hiccup, is that a mistake? But it was this little thing where I just, you know, Alessandro, one of the, like he was the head of story on that film. He was like, uh, yeah, this has to feel like it's like a, in a way, like a, you know, it's their, both of their choices. Like one person goes 80% of the way and then the other person also has to do it. Like Hiccup can't just touch Toothless. Toothless also has to touch Hiccup. And so then when Hiccup gets his hand in that position, I just wanted to have just this this subtle thing that I wasn't sure anyone would ever see, but just to show him making a choice. Like if he just leaned forward, you know, it, it would have just, it wouldn't have felt like a real decision. And for him to, in the subtlest of ways, <laughs> just lean forward, like he's thinking, but then he kind of backs up a little bit, like he isn't sure, but then when he goes for it, it's like th- those are like the fun things of like when you start to get into character of like really getting into the, what they're going through and putting yourself in their shoes kind of thing you know that whole idea um and it was just that yeah so it was like a really powerful moment but also because i knew what it felt like and because, mm. you know we were going through so much stuff with emotions and with my wife's health and stuff and it was just like it all like everything i had emotionally was put into that, those moments so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's honestly, that's such a crazy story that, that, that like, that's how that, like the looking away, reaching out and then letting toothless come in, that that came from you and your cat that you adopted from the main side. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's a cool little, little drop for the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, How to Train Your Dragon was a hit. Uh, you won an Annie for your work on Toothless, correct? Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> your that's second right. Annie. Um, and then they immediately, I mean, maybe not immediately, but they went into production on another How to Train Your Dragon a little bit later. But you ended up going to Rise of the Guardians. And before I ask about that, did you ever have a chance or, or wish you had a chance um to animate for toothless again no 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 i had it was such a perfect storm of things that led to that character becoming what it is mm-hmm. and you know it was the schedule where everybody you know we didn't have too much time to mess around we had chris and dean who were like these amazing directors together mm-hmm. where they like i've never been in a room where two people like just compliment each other so well where you know Chris would have this crazy idea of doing this and then Dean would say, well, this, and then they wouldn't, they wouldn't argue that they would like constructively figure out how to make both ideas work. And it would always be the best idea. Mm-hmm. And it happened over the course of the film and they just sort of built this amazing story. Excuse me. And uh, I didn't, I, I just couldn't, I felt like, like I, I never go back. Like when I, when I'm on like think back about my career, like I, I rarely, have taken a step back or held on to something out of fear. And there was mm. such a thing about toothless that, that I felt like if I was going to do it again, I was just, I was holding on for fear, like, mm. you know, holding on to that, that lightning in a bottle thing. And I, 
and I just didn't want to, I didn't want to um, take that. I, I wanted someone else to take it and just see what they would do with it and just let it go. And I, I kind of, you know, I wanted to keep moving up as well, you know, towards my goal has always been sort of like right and direct. Mm. Um, but, and so I think I, I, I made a, it was a, it was a hard thing to say no, <laughs> you know, cause they give you the chance, you know, I like, do you want to just go on to toothless? And of course that was an option and mm-hmm. I would have done it, but to hear myself just saying no, <laughs> and then to really mean it, you know, mm-hmm. but I definitely don't regret it. That, yeah. I mean, this is like, it's just such a highlight in my career and just seeing the other following films and how he evolved and he's still the same character, but he's yeah. grown and, I mean, it's just so fun when, when you can just be a part of that. And it's not like yeah. it's, you know, it's not like it's like, you know, solely on one person's shoulders. Sure. You know, like if anybody else would have done the character. But your shot was, was in the last movie was basically, that was what the farewell was centered around was your, your shot when, and then they reverse it in the third right, movie right. with him pulling away in the same kind of angle. And it's like, yeah, that was probably pretty cool to see. And, yeah but again you know the idea was it was there you know that yeah. wasn't like that's that's the the fun now that i do story it's like i realize how hard that job is. <laughs> but like as an animator like you live and breathe by if the story that you're surround that scene is surrounding is, is yeah. working like sure you know and it's, it's like you, so yeah and and there's so many factors you know like everybody involved and all this kind of stuff so it's it's, 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 it was more of a privilege to be able to work on that character as opposed to like, you know, like I, it was a bad film and I dragged this thing out of nothing and it became this amazing character. It was just, it was such a, that's, I, you know, it's hard to admit it, but that I think that same animation and that same character in a story that wasn't as well told wouldn't have been as memorable. Sure. So I think it's just a, it's just a reminder of, you know, <laughs> of humility sure yeah (laughs) that's a humble way yeah it's a humble way to look at it for sure yeah yeah and just being grateful to have that chance yeah like it was just it was so cool yeah well i i want to be respectful of your time so i'll I'll combine uh a couple questions here just to kind of wrap up and then and then let you um just kind of plug what you're doing now um and, and your youtube channel but um so just to kind of wrap up um with with your film work um your last uh dreamworks credit was as head of character animation for rise of the guardians which is a 2012 film and it's quite good i feel like a lot of people aren't super familiar with it um you know it's not how to train your dragon shrek kung fu panda like the big franchises of dreamworks but it's a, a very solid film in my opinion i really yeah. like it um yeah. so yeah just real quick what was what was the the change how did it how uh was the different experience of being head of character animation and then just to kind of lump the last couple questions together is uh, why was that uh or, or how did that lead to you exiting dreamworks well, I think the the experience of, of Guardians was like, it was an unbelievable thing that I would, it was like the most difficult thing I've ever been through and the thing I would never change in my life. <laughs> yeah, It was just, it was hard. We had, we had a long time to develop characters and we really got into uh, me and one other animator, Lexi Wanneroy, um, who is now working on France. He worked on that, uh, oh man, what's that? 
what's that film that just came out on Netflix? Arcade. Ar- Arcane. Arcane. Yeah, oh, sorry. that show yeah, is he, so good. Yeah, he he's actually was a big part of that one. Wow. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah, That's he's crazy. over there, but he'd be a good one for you to interview. He's in that. He's oh, I would love to. That's a fantastic show. I just watched it like last month, and I've already talked about it on this podcast. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. So, but but it was just me and him working on for about a year developing all these characters, and you know, every character had their. We gave every character a month, and we really got into the developing of them. And and when the production started, I think it was just it was a little bit of a perfect storm of. Uh, I got to work with Peter Ramsey. He was the director. He, he ended up, you know, being, you know, co- one of the directors on Spider Verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, he's an awesome, Incredible awesome guy. Movie. Yeah, and and you know, we're still friends. And I, I mean, he's just such a nice. He was a great mentor. He really, you know, gave me a lot of responsibility on that movie, and it was a really, it was a really good one. But I think the the experience was one of the, the story was always a little bit of a difficult thing, and things kept changing and uh as they're trying to figure it out and again animation is the bottleneck and and it mm. and i had a, an amazing team of animators but sort of i guess it just when i look back i i think i was a little bit not ready for that mm. <laughs> for that position as much as i hate to admit it but i i i i still kind of wanted to be an animator and i had no time to be an animator mm. And so it became a management job. And I don't think I did well in that sort of, mm. you know, middle thing where I don't really have a say in what's coming like in the story. And I don't really have a way of making the animation. And so it, I can only watch <clears throat> what everyone's doing and sort of try to help. And it, I, I, I wish I would have um, maybe been a little bit of a better leader. I think I kind of just, I think I had a lot of like fears and stresses that sort of uh, came out of the insecurity of not being able to actually do what I, what got me there, which is animating. And, you know, and I, and I think I wouldn't want to change it because I learned so much, but I mean, it, it was a difficult, it was a difficult thing until that moment where Jeffrey like kind of smacked me upside <laughs> the head, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and, and, and it was, it was good. So I, I I love the film. I mean, I, again, I have a real hard time judging these films for what sure. they are because so many emotions are linked up to it. But yeah. I mean, I love those characters so much and I just loved working with it. And, and the, you know, it was a difficult project, but it was, uh, it was, it was a, it was a worthwhile endeavor. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, but then I was kind of like, I had, a, that was a big moment after that film was done because I was thinking, you know, I could go back to animating and that was kind of the deal. Like, okay, there isn't, you could stay as a head of animation or you can go back to animating. And I was like, I, I was thinking back, I couldn't stop thinking about when I was a kid, I was making stories and I was telling my own stories and I was making animation. And for all these years, I got so caught up in just being an animator and trying to be successful as an animator that I forgot about that part of me that wants to tell stories. Yeah. And so I, I, uh, I asked Bill Damaschke, the, who's the number two guy at, at, at the DreamWorks at the time, you know, can I go into story? And it's hard moving to different, you know, when you're doing good in one place, they don't really, it's hard to move you. Yeah. you know, they don't want to. And I had this nice corner office and all this kind of stuff. And, and he's like, well, if you do, you know, of course I'll, I'll support you for that. And he was always this amazing guy who kind of like always gave me these chances. Like he's yeah. like, okay, now you can do this. You can be this Hoka. You can do this toothless character. And, 
he's just a great sort of mentor. And he's like, but, you know, you can't stay in your office. Obviously, you're going to have to go and, you know, go if you want to move into story, it's going to be a little bit of a step down. Right. Yeah. And so but I knew I wanted to do it. And so he let me do that. And I ended up giving up my corner office and it was just so hard to, to leave. But mm. I started working on a movie called The Monkeys of Mumbai with Kevin Lima, who ended up. That's you know, crazy. I literally talked to Kevin Lima a couple years ago after the <sighs> the Goofy movie twenty fifth. It was the Goofy movie twenty oh, fifth yeah. anniversary, and which is one of the films that Wes and I, Wes and my co-host, we love that film, and he's <laughs> obviously the director of it. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, we've heard about his film and how it. Yeah, it was didn't get to get made. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, I worked on it for two years. Wow. And it was the first time in story and it was just I'm working with Kevin was the dream. I mean, he was a, he was just a great, great guy, really good ideas, really collaborative. And it was just a, it, it just became a project that somehow just didn't work with the scheduling. And I don't know exactly what happened, but it just it was canceled, you know, after yeah. two years. And and then things got a little bit, you know, started changing in DreamWorks. You know, it was up for sale and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And I, I and I was just so itching to keep growing and, and learning. And so I ended up just, just taking a break from DreamWorks. I just kind of decided like, I, I, I just needed, I mean, I was there for 13 years or something and I had grown so much and done so much, but I, I wanted to just kind of take a step back and, and start figuring out how to really move towards directing. It was, uh, it was uh, writing and directing. And so I ended up taking a break and, and uh, started directing commercials in Europe, you know, and, and mm. but I would spend a lot of time writing and writing and mm. writing and writing and writing and writing. And then I started making these little YouTube videos on the side just for fun. And, you know, and, you know, a couple of them, you know, it's not like it's a big channel or something. It's not like I have a lot of time to devote to it, but, you know, we make them and my wife and I do them together on the side, you know, and you know, a couple of them have like 9 million views, like the Mother's yeah. Day one and stuff. And and I think we're going to keep making little things like that on the side. We're going to release a little Valentine's Day one in a couple of days. Oh, we, that's awesome. They're gorgeous, yeah, honestly. They're, if you haven't, well, uh, to the to the listeners of the podcast, Gabe Hordos Films on YouTube right. is the YouTube channel. Right. And there's some brilliant little, some are 30 seconds, some are a couple minutes, uh, but the animation quality is like, super high level for youtube animation sh channel well, like that's just great well thanks i mean we're you know it's just a little thing we do on the side but but i think what's uh so like what's happening right now is i i'm at skydance right now okay i've been at skydance animation for like three three almost four years now i mean i after after i was away from dreamworks for a few years Bill Damaski had left DreamWorks and mm -hmm. he called me up one day and he's like, Hey, there's this Skydance place coming. We're going to start making films there. And sort of like, I just went there to just, you know, it was, I wasn't really looking for work, but it, sure. but it was kind of a really great opportunity and whatever happens and happens. And then um, uh, Bill ended up leaving and and now John Lasseter is the, you know, the, the big guy at, yeah. at Skydance and, and I'm just, you know, working in story, learning as much as I can. Are you um, on Spellbound or Luck? Well, I was on Luck for before they started. We just okay. finished up on Luck. Okay. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of the Angela character moments, and there's a dragon in there that I was kind of doing a lot of the sequences to. And um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really great film, and it's I'm it's excited. Really fun to see. Yeah, no, it's fun to see how we made movies at DreamWorks, and then how John makes movies, and you know, I'm. 
you know, I, I think I'm, I wish I was in a place of directing right by now, mm. you know, kind of a little bit like, you know, I feel like I'm chomping at the bit, you know, cause now I've directed a bunch of commercials and I've been writing a lot. So I'm, I'm, I'm still pushing as hard as I can to get there, but I'm just, you know, mm-hmm. letting things happen as they happen, you know, pushing as hard from my end as I can, but mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm, we're, I'm just been, since we finished up on luck, now I'm sort of in a moment of like, well, what am I going to work on next there? So we're kind of talking and whatnot, but, but the, the, the crazy thing that I've been doing since COVID started i mean well even before covid where i had this commute <laughs> i live up sort of about well about an hour and a half two and a half hours depending on traffic from where skydance is okay and so i ended up uh and having a deal where i only have to go in like three times a week and so i i ended up using the time to, to commute i ended up spending a bit of a fortune on uh the on uber and i would use the time to write and so instead okay. of wasting the two and a half hours i would write every day and so i i wrote a book and so i wow you know, and, since co- and since covid sort of uh happened and i didn't have to do the commute i get up every morning right now at 4 30 for the last year and a bit and i write for a couple hours every morning before work starts you know and uh i just really <laughs> it, it's a weird thing i don't know why i'm doing it but i actually really enjoy writing a, i wrote this book and uh it's published on amazon right now wow is, is it fiction <laughs> it's, it's all self-published yeah it's fiction huh. yeah I What's mean, it called? It, it's weird it, it's called the teeth the teeth inside the teeth inside and basically the reason i wrote this one was uh i've been writing I've written like maybe five or six scripts that no one will ever see. Uh-huh. Uh, I wrote a whole bunch of short stories. I've been, you know, I probably have thousands of ideas that never went anywhere. And my wife is like, one day she's like, why do you never finish anything? Uh-huh. And it was just like, and I think that I have these like fear issues, you know, where oh, that same fear that creeped in on, on, on uh, rise of the guardians just sort of like keeps creeping in. And, and I ended up realizing like, all every all I ever do when I write is just think about how it's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not mm. good enough. And so I ended up writing a book about that. And I just ended up it's a weird thing, but I wrote this. I wrote a version of the book, and then I showed it to some people, got some feedback, put it away for a while, and then I went back to it maybe about six months ago, and I ended up just deciding to finish it. And the, and and the and I realized it's like this whole thing was holding me back is just like this. And it's, I think it's related to toothless somehow mm. <laughs> where when you do something that that successful, it's everything just felt like, and I sort I sort of became aware of this when I was watching a little thing on Miyazaki, oddly enough, where okay. the producer was talking about how um, uh, Totoro is, is the weight on Miyazaki's shoulders that he can never get rid of that burden or something like this, where it's like Interesting. nothing can live up to it. And, and I was like, in my own small little tiny version of the world like that's how i was realized i was doing the same thing where i think what's been holding me back a, a lot is just this fear of not being able to live up to my own expectations of what i want to be and where i thought i should be by now and sort of and so i ended up just fighting through this book even though i've never been a writer and i'm not the best at english <laughs> <laughs> you know i just i just fought my way through it and it's like the 
And I kind of like, I like to think of it like I needed this book in order to finish the, I needed to finish the book in order to finish the book because the book is about that voice. Mm. And it becomes this, it's a, I mean, the story is kind of autobiographical. It's about this mm -hmm. little boy who loves to draw, but you know, every time he shows, he doesn't show anybody his drawings and he's never finished anything in his entire life. And, and he, he's afraid he's going to die if, uh, if, uh, if he shows anyone his drawings. And, wow. and then the story is basically about, uh, one day his art teacher, who's very much based on my old art teacher. I even called him the same name and I got his permission to do that. But hey, well, um, you might not want to spoil the, the end of the story because I, I might no, be, I end up, no. end up getting it, you know? <laughs> oh, you can read it, but basically, it's, it's it's about a it's about a kid that has an art show, and yeah. you know he's gonna and and the close I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just it's all about fear and that yeah, sort of like that's super real. What I've learned how to how to deal with it, and I needed and it's it's just it's this thing where I needed to finish this book in order to finish the book because the book actually helped me finish. So it's kind of like. I guess it's my own version of like if if you struggle with fear, maybe this book can help a little bit. I don't know, but but it's but I've started my next book now. I've uh, you know I I went through this whole thing of trying to figure out how to self publish. Yeah. You know I've uh, got some software that you can do all this stuff with, and you know I haven't sold many copies, but it's sure. like it is there, and it's like it's it's pretty scary to push you know yeah. publish. I bet. <laughs> but it's there, and it's but cool. you push through it. That, that's awesome. That's super real, honestly, too. Uh, just in this whole interview, I, you've been super real about your experiences, and I appreciate it. Well, it's been a yeah. It's hard to go down these memory lanes, I know, but yeah. uh, it's it's kind of fun to talk about it a little bit. And I almost, you know, to be honest, I was like, you know, I, I almost was going to cancel doing this just because <laughs> I don't know. Some some somehow it's like this this feeling of uh, of I don't know what it is. It's just that feeling of like, like nothing you do is good enough. It's just, mm. it's constantly just a weight on me. And I'm, mm. it's, it's, it's like the more, the older I, and it's weird because I never had that growing up at all. I never had that growing up at all. When I was young and animating, I was completely fearless and I never had a doubt in my mind that I was going to be an animator. And somehow over time, it's just like the world kind of beats on you a little bit and you, you start to question everything. And, and it was actually a moment too, where I was like, as I was, you know, starting to write, I read all the books and I, all the Save the Cats and the McKees and all these yeah, things and I just yeah. read it and, and I had lists and I still have li like lists of everything. And I just was, you know, while writing the book, I was like, that's not how I learned how to animate. I, yeah. I had, I had a, I had faith that I was, I had a life ahead of me and I was just going to work through it no matter what. And I think, you know, the older you, the older I get anyway, the the less time you feel like you have, the more yeah. pressure you put on yourself to actually finish something. And then that then that becomes this unbearable weight. And then I think that just starts to add to this feeling of not being able to get things done. And it, it impacts creativity. And it's like, it, instead of thinking about what inspires me, it's become this thing about what's not good enough. And it's, mm. it's really, yeah, it's this thing where I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, these next little few stages of my life is going to be more about finding inspiration and, and uh, running with it and not being so overly critical on stuff. And so sure. that's kind of how I'm approaching my next book and is, you know, as I move towards directing a feature, hopefully yeah. one day, you know, writing it. But um, yeah, now it's kind of like, well, let's just, let's just let go of that stuff and just 
just start creating again a little bit fearlessly and see what happens kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I super appreciate all of your time. Um, yeah, got just so many cool stories out of you and, and real experiences about like the pressures of being in the animation industry when, you know, you just have to like, a, you have to live up to like the expectations of the people, you know, paying you. And then, and then your work right. being seen by millions, you know, that can, that can be uh, a yeah. pressure in itself that can weigh on you. But it's, but it, but it all comes back to this one moment. And yeah. it's kind of what I, it's a moment that I sort of need to remind myself of that I forgot about when I was, when How to Train Your Dragon came out, you know, the first weekend it, it opened, it didn't do well. And we mm. all thought it was going to be a failure. And, and, but every week it sort of kept growing and growing and growing. And I think there's like, whatever that message that that movie was, was talking about, it sort of like resonated with people and it just kept, it, 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 it sort of has a similar um, arc in, in like box office is like Titanic where it kind of starts slowly, but then as people see it, they want to go see it again and they go see it again and they talk about it and then more and more people will see it. And, and I think it's just this this sort of like message of like unconditional sort of love yeah. <laughs> or something, you know, that's in there. And I and I remember going to a theater and watching it with an audience. And then that moment where that sequence comes up mm -hmm. where they're, you know, they meet each other for the first time and just how quiet it got. Yeah. And just how everybody was so linked to those two characters. And you could start hearing people sniffling and stuff. And it was just, I don't know. It was, it was the, this unbelievable thing that just whether I get a chance to make something that connects with people like that again, I don't know, but that's the goal is just yeah. to keep making stuff that, that people just lose themselves in, you know, escape whatever problems you have and hopefully, but not in a popcorny kind of way, or sure. a, you know, junk food kind of way, but in a, like a real, like you come out of there feeling something and, and hopefully learning something that maybe makes you a slightly better person, you know? So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm aiming, you know, and just hopefully find my own way to get there. <laughs> yeah. Well, your work has, has touched people uh, already. Um, so that can never be taken away from you. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that's all I've got, um, in terms of questions, go check out Gabe's YouTube channel. Uh, he's working on a, uh, series on called the fighter pilot right now is the last, last, um, video that I think I saw on there. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a nine minute long film that I never thought I could finish because it's <laughs> so complicated. Yeah. And so I just, so the quality of the, I think it was, what I'm doing is just, I'm trying to find out how to make the YouTube thing feasible in a way so that sure. it's not full animation on yeah. this one. It's like it's getting a little more simple every time, but it'd be a shame to not finish it. So we're working on it in stages and they take a little while, but yeah. you know, but at the same time, we're, you know, like going to release a little Valentine's day one. And cause I think that I'm starting to learn about the algorithm and how it works. And yeah. you know, you got to make something that people search for and stuff like that. So it's, sure. you know, it's kind of, it's a whole nother side of things that's kind of fun, but uh, yeah. yeah, but it, yeah, be, be cool to, and I love all the comments, man. I read, read there are amazing comments that I read on that YouTube thing that are like pretty inspiring and, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's really cool. It is really cool. That's awesome. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to close the interview out. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for, uh, for joining. I'm going to stop the record button. All right. Well, that wraps it up. 
stay hungry. Stay humble. And stay hydrated. <laughs>